So the first reading is from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 17. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And our second reading is John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thanks, Alison, very much. Can you, can you all hear me okay? Stick a thumb up, yeah, good. Um, well, can I add my welcome to Claire? Um, it's, um, it's really great to see you all. And um, my name, if we haven't met before, my name's Mark Harrison. I work alongside Alison and Claire in, um, uh, with the Christians in Parliament All-Party group, um, as well as being a, a, in, a, in a parish part-time in um, central London. Um, let me just pray before we, before we begin. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ, the word of God, came uh, to dwell amongst us. We pray this afternoon, please show us his grace and his truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, uh, to kick off uh, 2021, we're starting a, a new sermon series on these uh, Tuesday lunchtimes, which we've called Encounters with Jesus. And we're going to be focusing on the person of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he came to do. And we're going to do that by listening in, uh, basically, on a series of conversations 
um, that Jesus had with a variety of different people um, as recorded in John's gospel. So we will be walking through uh, John's gospel together and, and looking at some of those conversations. And I hope and pray that um, even though these conversations are 2000 years ago and 2000 miles away, they are breathtakingly relevant to us today. And um, the very first such conversation we come across in John's gospel is this is this one with Nathaniel in chapter one, which I really love, um, which uh, Alison read earlier. And we're basically just going to look at that conversation in two parts. Uh, the first part is how we'll have a look at how Nathaniel approaches Jesus in the first place. And then secondly, we'll look at how Jesus responds to Nathaniel. So first of all, Nathaniel's um, approach to Jesus, which I've characterized as a as a skeptical approach um just to set the scene we're um we're in the very beginning of jesus public ministry here uh, jesus is in galilee in uh, northern israel and peter andrew and philip have just started following jesus and philip immediately wants to tell his friends about this extraordinary man from nazareth um, that he's met so he rushes off to tell his, his best mate, Nathaniel. And, and um, verse uh, 45, I don't know if Alison can bring it back up again, but I, I think almost reads like comedy. You can kind of imagine the conversation. Philip finds Nathaniel clearly full of some amazing news. And um, Nathaniel probably says to him, well, come on then, spit it out. What, what is it? What is it you want to tell me? And then Philip suddenly finds himself lost for words. Where, where does he even start about what he's been discovering? And the words look like they just start tumbling out of his mouth. He says, we have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law and also the prophets. And um, Nathaniel, who's kind of completely cold to all this, as the first time he's ringing, he, he kind of raises an eyebrow and a smile, I suspect, at this stage, and, and thinks to himself, okay, Philip, that's quite a claim you're making there. But be before Nathaniel can even open his mouth to kind of question Philip, Philip carries on. And he is Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth, just down the road. <laughs> and um, Nathaniel can't contain himself now. I mean, claiming to have found the Messiah is one thing, okay? But Philip, you're seriously trying to tell me that the Messiah comes from Nazareth. Nazareth? Really? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, Nazareth in Jesus' time was a tiny, insignificant town in a backwater region of, frankly, a backwater country in the Roman Empire. I mean, it really was nowhere. Rome was the centre of significance and power. If you lived in Rome, you looked down on those who lived in Jerusalem, for example. And if you lived in Jerusalem, you in turn would look down on those who lived up in Galilee. And if you lived in Galilee, you would look down on those who lived in Nazareth. Nazareth literally was the place you went to become a nobody. OK, now, just for some modern comparison, there's an organization uh, I've come across called ilivehere.co.uk, which runs an annual survey where 
where people in the UK rate the place where, where they actually live, according to a whole set of detailed criteria. And poor old Peterborough has been rated by its own residents as the worst place to live in the UK for the past two years running. Can you believe it? Um, I, actually, I can't see any of you now. So, I, but um, I um, is any <laughs> is anybody from Peterborough? Because well, maybe at the end you can speak up from Peterborough. Um, uh, I, you know, I kind of want to apologise because, to be honest, I, I think it's a bit harsh on Peterborough. I've got a very good friend who lives there, and he seems very happy with it. Anyway. Uh, for the purposes of our illustration this afternoon, Nazareth was the Peterborough of its day. And Nathaniel's automatic assumption was that nothing good, let alone God's Messiah, could come out of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, if you think about it, was basically a snob. He knew that no intellectual, wealthy, powerful or culturally influential people lived in Nazareth. And actually, not only was Nazareth irrelevant in his mind, he actually thought the people who lived there were a malign influence uh, on the society because he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, how bad can you get? And many people today, I think, view Christianity much like Nathaniel viewed Nazareth then. Christianity was from Nazareth then, originally, and actually, if you think about it, it's still from Nazareth today in many people's minds. You mentioned Jesus or Christianity to many people working in, in politics, uh, academia, business, media, the arts in the West today. And they'll roll your eyes. Well, they'll roll their eyes at you, even if not visibly, they might roll their eyes internally. And um, you know, they might be chronological snobs, for instance. They might, they might be thinking, ah, yes, well, Christianity, it's on the wrong side of history, frankly, and it's a bit outdated. We need to move beyond it. Or they might be intellectual snobs and say something like, Jesus and Christianity? Yeah, I've been there, done that. I grew out of believing in fairy tales when I grew out of believing in Father Christmas. And I grew out of believing in Jesus at the same time. Or you, you, might, um, you might categorize some people as social snobs. So, Christianity is for people who need a bit of help through life. What they lack in ability, money and power, they can make up for uh, in the psychological crutch of believing in God to get them through the tough reality of life. Now, I wonder, I mean, can, can you identify with any of those people and those kind of attitudes? Or do you have close friends, colleagues and family who might fit that description? together just sort of lumping us all together for a moment are we rolling our eyes at Jesus and Christianity as we begin this year did you know that rolling of the eyes is is a key thing that marriage counselors look for when they're counseling couples the rolling of the eyes apparently is a sure sign that one the person doing it has utterly stopped listening to what the other person says they're sure they've heard it all before and that they know better. And Nathaniel rolled his eyes at the thought of anyone from Nazareth having anything whatsoever to, to offer the world. So returning to those three types of sceptics I just mentioned, here's a question for, for each of them to ponder. 
to the chronological snob, are they sure they're ready to dismiss the Christian faith so quickly, out of date, without taking a closer look at the person Jesus Christ who's influenced Western civilization so fundamentally and so much more than any other person in history? Or to the intellectual snob, are they sure their half-remembered stories about Jesus from school days would bear scrutiny if someone to ask them who was Jesus and what's your assessment of the historical evidence of the New Testament documents? Or to the social snob, is that person really sure that money and power are dependable alternative gods? And in general, a question to all of us, are we prepared to stop in uh, January 2021 and give Jesus a second look? Because that, that is what Nathaniel did in verse 47. And he was about to get a big surprise. And that's our, that's our second point, the, the surprising answer that Jesus gives to Nathaniel. So in verses 47 to 49, you see how Jesus completely turns the tables on Nathaniel. And he greets him with uh, something along the, this is a paraphrase, but ah, oh, Nathaniel, I know you. You're a straight talking Israelite who tells it like it is with no guile or deceit. To which I think, again, we can imagine a slightly wary and skeptical response from Nathaniel along the lines of, actually, actually, no, I, I don't think we have been introduced. How, how do you think you know this about me? And has my friend Philip been telling you, telling you about me behind my back, perhaps? But the next thing that Jesus says leaves Nathaniel in no doubt about his power. Jesus tells him that he saw him under the fig tree before Philip called him. Now, this obviously blows Nathaniel away. How? How could Jesus know that? And in an instant, he realizes that he's he's face to face with a whole lot more than what he thought could come out of Nazareth. You know, what, what a humbling moment this must have been for him. A moment ago, he was this proud and opinionated skeptic, and now he's been reduced to a kind of quivering and humbled blancmange standing there before the one his people had been waiting for for centuries, the Messiah. And he stutters out the words, you are the son of God, you're the king of Israel. But Jesus isn't finished with Nathaniel, he's got more for him. So in verse 50, he says, you think that's something? You're going to see greater things than that. You're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on me. Now, to understand the significance of what Jesus is saying here, we need to think back to that passage, the first passage that Alison read, Genesis 28. And in Genesis 28, Jacob had to flee his family and his home. And things look pretty desperate for him in that moment. And he, he lies down to sleep in the middle of nowhere with only a miserable stone for a pillow. But that night he has this incredible dream. And it's of this grand stairway stretching from earth to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on this stairway. And what God uh, promises verbally in the dream uh, to Jacob explains the picture of the um, of the stairway. 
to heaven. Uh, God promises in the dream that he's going to bless multitudes of people across all the world in the future through Jacob somehow. It's a powerful picture from God to Jacob that the way to heaven is still open to Jacob and to many future people with him and through him. But Jacob had no idea in that moment how God was going to make this promise come true in the future. And here we are um, with Philip and Nathaniel hundreds of years later, just outside Bethsaida in northern Galilee, two men, Nathaniel and Philip, were hearing the answer to how that stairway to heaven was going to be possible. And, and in perhaps the most stunning statement that ever has ever been made by a human being, Jesus was saying, I am that stairway to heaven. I'm here to open a way into heaven. Now, let's notice for a moment what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, I can point you to where this stairway to heaven is. He doesn't say, I'm here to tell you 10 things that you've got to do in order to climb the stairway to heaven and get to God. He says, he says, I am the stairway. And as we go through the rest of John's gospel, we'll see Jesus explaining how he is that stairway to heaven. For instance, he explains that he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He did what we could never do in God's world. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived, but we know we don't. And he died the death that we should have died in our place. So that we can be given his perfect life and enjoy peace with God forever. That's the wonderful heart of the Christian faith. And and every other religion in the world will tell you that to know God, we've got to do something. We have to do a series of things to climb the stairway. And we so easily assume that it's the same with the Christian faith, whether we're completely new to the Christian faith or we've been a Christian a long time, but we subtly sort of slip back into that kind of attitude where we've got to earn our way up the stairway to heaven. God has opened a way into heaven for us and Jesus Christ is that way. And um, that's humbling for us to hear and it's encouraging. It's humbling for Nathaniel to hear it because let's face it, he, he looks like he was a pretty self-confident person, sure of himself before other people and most likely very sure of himself before God. And it's humbling for us to hear too that this message because it requires us to accept that we are actually powerless to save ourselves. Whether we've been a Christian for many years or whether we're new to the Christian faith, are we prepared to admit that no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how long we've been going to church, no matter how many good things we've done in our lives, we can't earn God's forgiveness. So will we humble ourselves before God and before other people and receive God's undeserved mercy again this afternoon? But perhaps some of us right here, right now, might better fit the description of a, of a despairing Jacob. Who you remember ended up in the middle of nowhere with only a stone for a pillow, wondering what had become of his life and whether God had abandoned him. And, and perhaps we despair that, or we easily despair that we've mucked up our lives so much 
that we're not good enough for God and that he won't accept us all that God's forgotten about us in some way and it's very easy for us to feel pretty depressed in this current moment and feel like a despairing Jacob well if that is us today then there's a most wonderful and encouraging surprise in what Jesus says to Nathaniel Jesus says I am the stairway into heaven I've humbled myself and come down to you because I love you so much Jesus is saying, I've seen you on your stone pillow. I've seen you under your fig tree. And just so I know everything about Jacob and Nathaniel, I know everything about you. And yet I want you as my treasured possession. Now, that is utterly, utterly wonderful news. When Nathaniel the skeptic met Jesus of Nazareth, he thought he knew everything he needed to know about him. But actually, he came to realize that Jesus was so much more than what he'd ever imagined. So as we close now, let's pray for one another. We might follow in Nathaniel's footsteps this spring term as we encounter Jesus in John's gospel. Let's pray together. Almighty and most merciful God, In your kindness, please would you humble us to see the the many ways in which we, like Nathaniel, are proud sceptics and we seek to keep you at arm's length. Also, would you open our eyes to the wonder of how you've opened heaven to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in his death and in his resurrection, he is that stairway to heaven. Pray that we would receive... um, his wonderful grace afresh today and please help us to listen to him with truly open ears and to believe in him uh, this day and in the coming weeks we ask it in his precious name amen